0: Turn in your Bible, please, to the book of Galatians, Galatians, the little book of Galatians, first and second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I think when I was growing up, I used to call this book, Galatians, Galoshes. I got it mixed up with what you wear in the wintertime when it's snowing. Is that what you call them, Galatians or something like that? Well, anyway, it's Galatians. And Galatia is that little area in the middle of Asia Minor that Paul was forbidden to go to on that second missionary journey in order to get the gospel over into Europe. He went to Troas and saw the vision in the night and then took the gospel across the Aegean Sea into into, a, into Europe for the first time, but Galatia was a very important part of the work of the early Christian community. And Paul addresses these six chapters of the book of Galatians to the churches at Galatia. Mo- many of Paul's little epistles are written to one church, the church at Philippi and so on. But this particular book is written to the churches at Galatia, in the area of Galatia. And we want to look at the entire first chapter tonight under the theme to deliver us out of the darkness of this present evil age. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we humble ourselves in thy presence tonight, knowing that in our flesh dwelleth no good thing, But the Holy Spirit is the one who can add power to the preached word. We plead tonight that the Holy Spirit would take the word of God, drive it home to hearts in need, cleanse us from sin. I pray that in my own life, this vessel will be a vessel unto honor, cleansed, speaking forth the word of truth. And may the Spirit of God give open hearts so that we can hear beyond the voice of a preacher the voice of God speaking to our hearts tonight call from this audience somebody to be saved somebody to serve you somebody to be a special envoy in the king's army somebody to get under the load of the Lord's church here and get burdened become part of this fellowship to help build a strong work for Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you follow along in your Bibles as I read the 24 verses of Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever, Amen. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel Which is not another But there are some that trouble you and who would pervert the gospel of Christ But though we or an angel from heaven Preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed As we said before So say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now seek the favor of men or of God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my manner of life in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion, above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his Son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them who were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none except James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only He who preached us in times past, He who persecuted us in times past, now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. And they glorified God in me. The theme of the verse of the passage tonight is verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us. From the present evil age, according to the will of God and our Father. That he might deliver us from the present evil age. He presented the glorious gospel. And tonight we want to think about the primacy of the gospel. The plan of the gospel. The purpose of the preaching of the gospel, at least from Paul's perspective. And last of all, the power of the gospel. First of all, the primacy of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is God's prime plan for this age. That's what this age is all about, the preaching of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And that gospel needs to be declared in an unadulterated form. We need to know what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. There are many things that the gospel of Christ is not. I hope you'll understand when I say this. When I preach to you on the message of hell, and I warn about hell in all of its horrors, in all of its tragedy, in all of its terror, and I know there's a hell, And the Bible has much to say about hell if I preach to you about hell I'm not preaching the gospel of Christ now the the doctrine of hell needs to be preached and there are some people who say now preacher you just stick right to the gospel and I'm going to show you tonight how difficult that is if you're going to declare the whole counsel of God the primacy of the Word of God is the Gospel, but there are other things that need to be preached and the doctrine of hell Needs to be preached, but it is not the gospel The doctrine of heaven is the most comforting doctrine in the Bible. I Love to talk about John 14. Let not your heart be troubled You believe in God believe also in me in my father's house or many mansions if it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And whether I go, you wait know, and the way you know. And that's the wonderful message of heaven. And Second Corinthians five one reminds us: we know that if the earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven, if so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. And we look forward to that glorious day when God's people will be with him and banished will be crying and weeping and sorrow and death and cemeteries and funeral homes and hospitals and medicines. But as comforting as that wonderful message of heaven is, that's not the gospel. We need to talk about Christian living. The Bible says that we're to remember that we're a holy nation, a peculiar people called by God. We're to be zealous of good works. We're to be salt in the earth and light in the world. And as important as it is for you and me to be little Christs and for the preacher and the Sunday school teachers and our moms and dads and everybody that's in any kind of spiritual responsibility to lay the the glorious opportunity of godly, holy living on the hearts of Christians. That's not the gospel. The doctrine of the second coming of Jesus is mentioned over 360 times in the chapters of the New Testament. There is no more glorious doctrine Oh, Lord Jesus, how long, how long ere we shout that glad song, hallelujah, Christ returneth, hallelujah, amen. And that doctrine needs to be preached. It ought to be part of every message. It ought to be part of every revival. The church needs to be expecting the glorious coming of our Lord. But as powerful and wonderful as that truth is, That's not the glorious gospel. I could go on and on tonight. What is the gospel? Simply stated, Paul told us over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and in which ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered unto you first of all that which also I received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, that he was buried, and that he arose again the third day, according to the Scripture, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and on and on, and last of all, he was seen of me as one born out of due season. What is the gospel? the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the glorious gospel. And My friend, the primacy of the gospel is nowhere more severely pointed to or underscored than in Galatians chapter 1. And here's what Paul says, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. As we said before, so say we now, If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have received, let him be accursed. What is he saying? He is not saying, if a man preaches on the second coming, let him be accursed. Or if a man preaches on the doctrine of hell or the doctrine of heaven or the importance of godly living or holiness and all of those things marvelous truth, that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying if anybody connects any kind of works with salvation and makes that part of the gospel, let him be accursed. My friend, the gospel of Jesus Christ saves. What is the gospel? Jesus died for our sins. According to the scripture, he was buried. Three days later, he was raised from the dead. And my hope and your hope For eternity is in the gospel. Nothing added, nothing subtracted. It is not the gospel plus holding out true to the end. It is not the gospel plus water baptism. It is not the gospel plus godly living. It is the glorious gospel. And Paul was so overwhelmed with this as he wrote to the Galatians, who had be, been influenced by the Judaizers who came along and said, it's alright to believe that Jesus died, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead, that's part of the gospel, but you have to do some other things. You have to keep the Jewish law, you have to meet on Saturday, you have to tithe your income, you have to do a hundred and one other things. Now, I believe in worshiping the Lord on the Lord's day, and I believe in tithing our income, and I believe in 101 other things, but they have nothing to do with the glorious gospel. They do not save you. They have no power, no efficacy, and so the message of the book of Galatians is the primacy of the gospel of Christ. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. Three days later, he was raised from the grave. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood. Of Jesus. Nothing added, nothing subtracted, and that's the reason, my friend, through the years Baptists have paid a rather severe price for hanging on to that glorious truth others have misunderstood. Why they've said, you all teach that you can be saved by the blood of Jesus and go out and live for the devil and still go to heaven. Why that's a lie. We don't teach any such thing as that at all. But I want to tell you this when you give your life to Jesus Christ and he comes into your heart if he doesn't change you you better check up on what kind of gospel you received because the gospel of Christ is a changing gospel it changes our mind it changes our life it changes our destiny it changes our direction it changes our motivations and our ambitions and our lifestyle that's the reason the gospel is prime and so Paul says anybody comes to Glendale Baptist Church, if anybody comes to Bowling Green, if anybody comes to Galatia, if anybody comes and preaches any other gospel than the gospel I have given you, let him be accursed. Secondly, in this chapter notice the plan of the gospel. The plan of the gospel. Look in verse 6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ unto another gospel. The plan of the gospel is grace. That's just simply it. The plan of the gospel is grace. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace, grace, marvelous grace, grace that exceeds our sin and our shame. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt grace and The plan of the gospel is a gospel of grace For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves It is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast and a better translation of that verse in Ephesians 2 8 would be But would be to say for by grace have ye been saved those who are God's children look back Remember that you were saved by grace. Someday the silver cord will break. And I no more as now shall sing, but oh the joy when I shall wake within the palace of my king and I shall see him face to face and tell the story. Say it with me. Saved by grace. The plan of the gospel is a simple plan. It's the plan of God's grace. Nothing added. Nothing subtracted. Thirdly, in this passage we see the purpose of Paul preaching the gospel. Beginning in verse 10, For do I now seek the favor of men or of God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. And then he goes into a long testimony that goes over into chapter 2. And he tells about Something like he did in Philippians. And I like what he said in Philippians. Notice Paul's testimony. It's found in chapter 3. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath reasons for which... He might trust in the flesh. I have more. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness, which is of the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but refuge, that I may win him When Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now, notice the purpose of his preaching. He said, I do not preach to please men. I preach to please God. That word preach is an interesting word. We usually think of this man's the preacher. An evangelist comes, he says, we say, he's the preacher. Dr. Paul Montgomery is our guest here tonight, and we say, well, he's a preacher. Uh, Brother Jim Wade, a preacher. Brother Don Noah a preacher. These men are preachers of the Word, and we say, well, praise the Lord. We love them. We thank God for them. But did you know that the word used there is a word that is used in other scriptures to refer to what every believer needs to do? We're all preachers. Every one of us, we are declarers of the glorious gospel. And Paul says, my purpose as a declarer of the gospel, since I've been liberated and freed from sin, the purpose of my life is not to please me, but to please God. Now, there are several reasons for this. My friend, if we would just please men, we'd have to be as different as a community. We get with this little group over here in order to please them, we have to turn brown. We get over here and we have to please them. They've got on green, green clothes, so we turn green. And we get over here and here's some blue people and we turn blue because we've got to be like the chameleon. We've got to please people. And when you, as a Christian, begin to live your life just to please people, you're in deep trouble. When you're with this crowd, you're like them. When you're with this crowd you're like they are when you're with this crowd you're like they are but if you live your life and you declare the glorious gospel to please Christ then you're always the same you're here they may not agree with you but they know where you stand you be nice about it I don't think there's any special blessing on people being crude rude mean ugly all the time I think you can express your opinion, and your understanding, and your p- conviction in a gracious, kind way. And when you're with this group, you can stand the same way. When you're with this group over here, you can stand the same. Over here, you can stand the same way. Anywhere you are. And pretty soon people say, you know, there must be power in something that, about that man's life. Because he's not afraid. She's not afraid. Why, they stand for what they believe. And Paul said, Paul said, I don't even plan to try to please men. My purpose is to please God. And beloved, if we can leave this auditorium tonight and say by the grace of God, I'm going to be that kind of declarer of the gospel. I'm going to live my life to please our Lord. That's what I want with my life. I want to honor Christ with all my life. There'd be some changes where we work. There'd be some influences where we live. One of our ladies one day called me and asked me to visit one of the men that I think is a manager of one of the factories here or high up in management. I went to see him. One of our men went with me to see him. And The man was just uh, belittling everything about God and about the Word of God and the, the churches, and he hated the city and all kinds of things like that. And then he said, but I have to say this. There are a few people that I've met in the factory that go to your church that seem to live what they believe, though I don't believe what they say, but they live what they believe, and they seem to believe what they live. That said a whole lot. He didn't know how else to say it, but what he was really saying is they didn't seek to please men, they pleased God. When we go to our work tomorrow, when we go to our labor, when we go to our places of responsibility, will we be to please God? That's what Paul said, the purpose of what I'm all about. And then he said, in verses 23 and 24, he said, there were a lot of things they didn't know. Verse 22, they were, I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. They didn't really know me. They just heard something about me. What would they hear? <laughs> Why, Paul was called that man that turned the world upside down. He was called a rabble rouser. Everywhere he went, he didn't look about the motels. He looked to see what kind of jails they had, because that's where he usually ended up. But what did they say about Paul? Why, they heard only that he who persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which once he destroyed. Is that what they say about us? Is that what they're saying about us? Oh, God, help them to say it. Help us to so order our lives that the plan of our approach, the plan of our attack, as we get the glorious gospel out by word of mouth, by quiet testimony, by influence, by declaring, by soul winning, by personal visitation, by radio, by the pulpit, by every means that the people will realize they were seeking to please God, not man. Last of all, the power of the glorious gospel. Look in verse 4 again. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God and our Father. What is the power of the gospel? It's the power of deliverance. Paul said in Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That little word for power there is the word dunamis, which means a little seedling power. You drop a little seed into the ground and it dies, but in dying it breaks open and germinates. And after a while, there comes forth some, some flower, some, some vegetable, some kind of a leaf because of death. And the Bible says that's what the gospel of Christ is. It is the power of God dropped in to a person's life who is dead. And you might not even see any outward circumstances. You might not see any outward evidence. But that power of the gospel, there's there's power. there's, There's seedling power in that gospel. And as it germinates as the Holy Spirit motivates and makes alive that faith, that faith begins to grow and grow. And it changes men's lives. It changes us the power of the glorious gospel delivers men. There are men in this room tonight who could stand and say, I have been delivered from sin. I've been delivered from depression. I've been delivered from an old habit. I've been delivered from the wages of sin, which is death. I've been delivered because Christ's Glorious gospel, the seedling power of God in the gospel is that power that can liberate me, deliver me into the glorious presence of Jesus. What has the gospel done for you tonight? Have you really let the gospel of Christ change your life? Is it only a theory? Well, I'm a Baptist. I've always been a Baptist. My pop was a Baptist, my grandpop was a Baptist. We trace our Baptist line all the way back to the old country. Always been a Baptist. Or has the gospel of Christ come into your heart? And you have a first-hand experience with Jesus and you can say Christ in me, the hope of glory. He did something for me. He changed me. I was there when it happened. Do you know for sure you've been saved? That Jesus is in your heart? That if you died tonight, you'd go to be with the Lord? And if so, what kind of evidence is there on the outside? Somebody ask a piercing question. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Is there a change in your life? Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glorious gospel. Thank you for what we have learned from this passage. We pray that tonight any man, woman, boy, or girl within the sound of our voice who has never received the glorious gospel would open his heart to Jesus. And those of us who have already received that gospel would let it translate and transform our life and our lifestyle that we might be in the image of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. May we stand please. Just as I am without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come to thee. It's been a blessing to bring the message to you tonight. I just pray that in these next few moments, The Holy Spirit will speak to hearts. If you're here and you're not positive, you'd go to heaven if you died tonight. You're not really sure of that. I'd like to ask you to get sure. There's an awful day coming, a day of accounting. We'll have to give an account for our soul. We have to give an account for all eternity. And forever, forever, and forever, without hope, in a Christless gloom if you're without Jesus. I want to ask you to come to Jesus tonight. If you're already a Christian, are you living like God wants? Have you confessed Him openly? Have you followed Him in baptism? Have you followed Him in church membership? In discipleship? Are you serving Him? Has there been a change in your life? If there's an absence of change or if there's been a hankering back after the old things, why do just say, Lord, I want to serve you. I want you to be first in my life. While we just wait in Jesus' name, is there someone who ought to come tonight? Just come. Take a stand for the Lord while we pray, while we wait.